We're starting a new series today, which is kind of good. Um, we haven't got the words up there, but it's about what is the heart of the church? What is it that really makes us us? What is it that forms us? There's a reason people talk about the heart of a person. Because what we're trying to say there is what is the core? And of course the same can be said of a community. What is the core that forms this people? And today we're looking at the first of these Equipped with God's Word. I got the best passage to read for you. I've been practicing it all week and you will understand why when I get to the names. All the people assembled in a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the Lord Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. To his right stood Matthaliah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, and to his left stood Padiah, Mishael, Malchiah, Hashum, Hashbanada, Zechariah, and Meshalam. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. And then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamim, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, and Peliah then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, 
Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too quieted the people, telling them, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's word and understood them. How cool is that? This incident occurs... um, After the Israelites, they have been taken into captivity in Persia. And after many years, when they had learned the language there, when they had learned other customs, Nehemiah has a vision and he is given permission to go back and build Jerusalem. And we've just come to the end of this building But something is missing. And Nehemiah turns to Ezra and he brings out the scroll of the law of Moses. Remember, they've they've lost a lot of their Hebrew. But Ezra, even though he was taken to Persia himself, has gone through the relatively tedious process, you would think, of maintaining his ability to read the law of Moses in Hebrew. He's obviously exceptional. In fact, the Persians only took the exceptional people as captive. They left the commoners or those who were uneducated to till the land in Israel so that they could produce and give to the Persians. Ezra has been taken. He is seen as a wise person of learning. And indeed, it would seem that he has risen up in the ranks in Persia and he is something of an advisor to the king on the happening, the the things of Jerusalem. And so when Nehemiah is sent back to build the city again, Um, Ezra is part of this group that goes back and helps to rebuild. And at this point, perhaps not, not everything is finished, but the walls are beginning to go up. And they've built, rebuilt a lot of the buildings. They've got water there again. They've sorted a lot of the infrastructure out. And they take time to help the people reclaim what is lost, way beyond land. 
But the very word of God has been lost. There's something um, common and untechnical about all this, isn't there? The, um, the great scribe stands up there and he unrolls the book. All the people who have the potential to understand gather around. And then there are these, um, these interpreters who have the worst names in the world. Um, these interpreters stand up and they begin to move this from Hebrew into Aramaic so the people can get the gist of what's going on here. This is not um, perfect technical interpretation. This is not um, a rewriting of the book of Moses in Aramaic you know, over years and months. This is uh, spontaneous. Perhaps they didn't even interpret every word, but just those key words that these Israelites had lost. They want to get the meaning to the people. Ezra is a master of these words. He has invested everything in these, yet he doesn't want to hold it for himself. He's not worried that the people will twist it and get it wrong. He knows that they will go on a learning process just like he has if they are to grasp the gravity and wonder of the law of God which he has which this people has been privileged to receive. So he is willing to start where they are. He's not expecting them to go through all the rigmarole of a scribe. He is expecting them to grasp it where they can. He wants them to start understanding the scripture for themselves from where they are. This is where it's been so wonderful, hasn't it? For so many years before the printing press, the people of God didn't have what so many of you have. Scripture in your own language. So that it's not controlled by the professionals up the front. It's now something you can interact with, you can think about. Indeed, when it came to the New Testament, it was written in a language that was anything other than the high Greek that most writings were written in. It's called Koine Greek, and it's very common. So common that for many, many years, there were gaps in our understanding of the language of the New Testament, even though we knew this high Greek And it wasn't until they dug up a rubbish dump that they found the common lists and letters of the people. And you know what they found in there? The words we didn't understand, the words that weren't in that high Greek that was above everything. The the words that weren't in the special language, but words that were in the language of the people. You know, words are powerful. And I don't just mean God's words. God's words are as powerful as, well, from the Genesis account, 
God's words are creative. Can we have a look at this next slide? Uh, this is Seven Days of Creation by Safina. She's a, an Indigenous artist here in Australia. And um, as we go through the wonderful story of creation in Genesis, it is created by God speaking. And of course, God goes on and gives language to us. We would be wrong to think that God's words are powerful and ours aren't. God's words create and so do yours. The prophet's words create as they listen to God and so does the words of the church. Perhaps this is specifically why James would warn that we had the ability to steer just like the rudder of a ship with just our tongue. And who has mastered that? Words are powerful. And in our story today, they create a depth of despair in the people. What have we lost? What have we not been enacting and creating that God has given to us? Where have we been disempowered by being taken into captivity? What have we left behind? And their response weeping and, well, it would seem, repentance. You know, I'm not sure we uh, speak of the fullness of Scripture when we talk about it as something simply from Hebrews. If this is my next slide, I hope it is. Oh, good. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. In the... Uh, in our churches, if you like, in the Protestant world, we have really thought about Scripture as something that cuts to the core and causes repentance. The Word of God shows us where we have gone wrong and steers us in a new direction. It leads us to weeping and crying before God. Now, I'm not playing any of that down. Please don't hear me saying for a moment that that is problematic or bad or should never happen. It absolutely should. And that's been part of my experience as I've read God's Word, as I've interacted with the people of God. There has certainly been times where I have been cut to the core by Scripture and it has made me Assess who I am and what I am doing. But Ezra insists that this is not the complete story. In fact, he goes on and he says, the word of God doesn't finish at making, at asking for repentance. It doesn't finish there. In fact, it is vitally, vitally creative for your life. So this coming together and hearing the law again, it is not 
a sad day. It is a joyous day. This is a festival. This is a day to party. This is a day to celebrate. And this wonderful um, expression of this, as Ezra insists and Nehemiah insists on sending the people out to party and to celebrate. If scripture stops at making you feel bad, you haven't read it all. Because this is something to be celebrated. This is something to marvel at. Something, something to feel deeply the sense of privilege that we have these scriptures working among us. We have God's word breathed among us as the people of God. That is not something that should leave us feeling sad. It should leave us celebrating. In fact, being full of the joy of the Spirit of God that breathed, breathed this word into our lives. This is something that should cause us to party. And anything short of that, anything short of that is incomplete. These are the words of eternal life. These are not the words that simply condemn and push us down. These are the words that create us. These are the words that make us us. That make us the vital light that God is shining through into all of the universe. These are the words that make us the people of God. And if we are to talk about the heart of us, it will inevitably involve us talking about what we do with Scripture, how we celebrate it, how we teach it, how we um, share it with one another. This is why... If you turn up to church and I just stand up here and say, look, I didn't have time to mess with Scripture this week. I haven't got anything to say. You say, how long do you want to have your job for? That is absolutely right because this is something fundamental about what we, who we are and what we do when we gather. I know, believe me, I know there are a thousand sort of religious, traditional things that even just this morning we kind of do when we get together. And we do build up our rituals around what we expect when we get together. And that's, that's a human thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad. I think that's just what it's like to be a person. We like to know what's going to happen when we get together. And so we, as Baptists here at Mosaic, we choose to do these things when we get together. We choose to worship. We choose to pray. We choose to do communion, to remember what Christ has done for us. And we choose to open the Scriptures and think about them together. You know, there's... Um, there's a lot of different scriptures in our world. 
But one of the most unique things about ours is that they tell stories. We've, we've just read one, haven't we? we? We've read a story and if you engaged with that, it would have forced you to imagine the platform and imagine the men lined up with all their names. Imagine the noise. It's asking, a story is asking you to engage and imagine. And that is tremendously, tremendously empowering for the people. Why do you tell bedside stories to your two-year-old? Because as people, no matter how old we are, we have the capacity to imagine. And much more, much more than learning these words by rote is that they become a part of your dreams, of your stories. These stories become ours. What if God behaved like this once? What if the people of God lost something and found something in the Scriptures once upon a time? What if that story became something of your imagining of God? It would form you. It would become something vital, something that put pictures in your head rather than just words in lines that actually tapped into the deepest, deepest form of your humanity, your ability to say, this is my story. This is what I've experienced. This is what I've heard from others. This is what I know on the deepest, deepest level of knowing. I came across this picture this week. I've put Nehemiah 8 there. As the people go off to, um, to all their various parties after hearing the word of God, I guess this is a depiction of the Jerusalem just built, but as you can see, all through the sky is all that Hebrew lettering. Um, the scriptures soaking this place and indeed completing it. The church, as we have always said, is much, much more than a building. Jerusalem is much, much more than a city. It is the place where people are learning, no, no doubt, imperfectly. But they are learning to allow these stories that are our precious resource to soak over us and make us more like Christ. And if it's a while before I'm back here preaching, I am absolutely thrilled for that to be my last message to you. Let the word of God soak over you and form you. Change your imagination of the world. These stories have been passed down for thousands of years. Why? Because people believed we would need them. You know why they believed that? Because these stories changed them. 
They wanted these to be part of their children's lives. They wanted these to be part of their grandchildren's lives and on and on and on. They felt this was something they must pass on. So never, never take these stories for granted. Never come here and hear the scriptures read and think, when are we going to get to the end? Even when all the words are as crazy as this one. God speaks through this stuff. The Spirit of God breathes over his people through these stories. You are deeply, deeply privileged to be able to celebrate and learn them together. There is a greatest story in Scripture. You know, I I love the Word of God. But I don't think it's all on one level. I think there are high points. And the highest of all the high points is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. It is the point at which we most radically see the heart of God. The God we imagine to be far too much like us. Wanting vengeance, to pronounce judgment, to come and take over in a display of power and might. But the greatest revelation of the heart of the God who created everything was in this one who came into our world and gave of himself his life for the life of others and then out of the death that we had brought into the world produced life everlasting. If there is a high point of our story, it is this, that Christ came into our world to show us the heart of a God who was completely unlike us and to help us see the world from the perspective of God not simply the limited perspective of us telling the stories of what we see down here, but of God coming down and sharing a completely, completely different way. If we are a people telling our own stories, then death is undoubtedly an end. But if we are a people telling God's story, it is a beginning. So we want to come and we want to remember this ultimate story. Not just in word, but in symbol. Not just alone, but in community.
we want to remember the body that was broken to save us. We want to remember the blood that was spilt to save us. And we must remember as we do this that this is not an end. It is a display of, the, of God's love for you, a display of the heart of God that we had become so blind to because we only tell our stories. As we move forward today to take communion, as we do every time that we gather around this table, we tell a different story. We insist that there is a different ending and we invite God to allow this story, this new ending, to permeate us and our imagining and our community. So friends, will you come and celebrate from the depths of who you are the death, the life, the death and the resurrection of Christ that gives you a new shot. Please come.